Back on the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Tonight, we got a massive, massive head-to-head uh, Monday Night Football, Jets and Bills. That'll wrap up week one. And there'll be lots to talk about today on The Fan Checkdown with Donovan Bennett, who joins us now. Donovan, did you enjoy your Sunday on the couch? I have two little children. There's no Sunday on the couch. <laughs> Get it them is, in the football. <laughs> well, there are four and... 18 months, so uh, I'm trying. But uh, talking about uh, two high safeties with them mm. is like speaking French. It was me uh, watching multiple games on a small device while they watch cartoons on uh, TVs that cost more than really they should. So uh, I enjoyed uh, bouncing back and forth, uh, essentially uh breaking up fights between them and uh, breaking up fights in my group chat on mm. which survivor loss is worse. Uh, the, the NFL is back. Okay. Gentlemen, <laughs> but once they went to bed, which I, I assume is like, uh, whatever, six thirty, seven o'clock, hopefully, uh, were you able to settle down and watch your Cowboys just absolutely demolish the New York Giants last night or what? First of all, I, I want to rent these children who go to bed at six thirty, seven o'clock, uh, just to experience what that might be like. Yes, I did enjoy uh, the Cowboys. I I maybe felt a little bit for Daniel Jones because the amount of pressure he was receiving from all sides is like having young children, where he didn't have room to breathe or to think, and he just at times wanted to quietly quit and just throw the ball away, which you know he had to do. Uh, seven sacks, seven tackles for loss by seven different players. Um, it, it, we saw some beatdowns in college football. Mm-hmm. That looked like a college football game where the team gets off the bus and it just really doesn't matter. We won this game in recruiting, and now this is just an exercise, essentially. Do you think it was more about the uh, Cowboys front uh, with Micah Parsons, Demarcus Lawrence, et cetera, or the, the Giants offensive line, which looked just awful yesterday? I think it was a combination of uh, the two, but I also think it was, and this is a little thought experiment, I'm interested to hear what you two think. Can your best receiver be not a receiver if that non-receiver's name is not uh, Travis Kelsey? Like, can you build a football team around a tight end unless that tight end is a first ballot Hall of Famer. So if we're talking about a Shannon Sharp or if we're talking about a Tony Gonzalez or a Travis Kelsey, but essentially the Giants were just like, yeah, we're just going to go into this year with a tight end and 72 slot receivers and we're going to see if that works. We would never do that in fantasy football. I'm not sure why they think they can do that in reality football. And yeah, I think part of it was the pressure, but also part of it was like, if I'm Dan Quinn, I'm looking at the Giants offense and I'm thinking, well, who here do I respect again? Like, mm-hmm. Saquon Barkley, yeah, but he's seven yards in the backfield. And the, the Waller, the tight end, well, I, I know where he's going to be. He's going to be close to the line of scrimmage. I don't, my corners can guard your corners, and I can just bring the house, and I think that's a bit what we saw. Yeah, uh, quite a way to wrap up what was uh, a busy day of football, 40 nothing uh, victory by the Cowboys. But I want to get your thought on a couple of the things that Jesse and I bounced around as, as big takeaways. Obviously, Tua, uh, the Bengals, uh, and the 49ers being the way that we started our show with some massive storylines. Uh, what resonated for you more than, obviously, the Cowboys uh, being your story of the evening? Oh, there's so much. Oh, uh, why don't we 
start with Tua. Puts up mm-hmm. 466 uh, in a season opening game. It was fourth most ever. Listen, evidently, I need to do jujitsu because that will take my game to another level because it was supposed to be to help him falling, but he was barely touched. Mm-hmm. And the the Dolphins have been quietly next level when he has been upright and healthy. It just hasn't been consistent over the last two years. So I, I say this with bated breath because he's just one bad hit away from us having an right. entirely different conversation about him and that being whether he should still play the sport. But if we're going to assume health, Who's better than this team in the AFC East, in the AFC, dot, 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 dot? They essentially have a track team and a QB who, again, when he was healthy in college, it was tanking for Tua. Like, he was by far going to be the number one overall pick. Mm -hmm. Now we've quickly said, well, Justin Herbert is better because they're in the same draft and he played well right away. But the the player, as scouts say, that the player is still in there somewhere. Uh, And I think we saw a great example of that in the first game. So that's it to me. There's been so much talk in the AFC East about Bills have to do it. Six of their top 10 paid players are 20 or older. The window is right now. The Jets and Hard Knocks and Aaron Rodgers – uh, will this be the last dance for Bill Belichick and the Patriots? And Mac Jones now actually has an offensive coordinator and Bill O'Brien who knows something about offense. Quietly, the Dolphins made the playoffs with like three different quarterbacks a year ago. And I, I think they're a sleeper uh, team to watch for. I want to stay in the AFC and the Cincinnati Bengals went three and out seven times yesterday against the Cleveland Browns. Joe Burrow career low, 82 yards, obviously just signed a massive new deal, but DJ uh, didn't really play at all in the preseason and had very few reps in training camp. So how much of it had to do with maybe shaking off a little bit of rust and it was a, a rainy environment in Cleveland and how much of it had to do with the fact that the Cleveland Browns are actually pretty good. New defensive coordinator, Jim Schwartz, and he dialed up some, some pretty good uh, looks against Joe Burrow yesterday. He did. Yeah. The Browns are Burrow's kryptonite. Evidently one five versus the Browns and miles. Garrett. I think the Schwartz, angle is a big one because essentially last two years teams are like well we can't blitz Joe Burrow he's got so many talented wide receivers he was blitzed the league low 15.6% of the time last year that's less than Tom Brady uh, Schwartz is like I don't care I don't really care I'm going to blitz him 38% blitzes he was 1 uh, for 11 uh, in passes with air yards over 10 yards uh, he had no time and he was 2 of 11 uh, when he was blitzed 416 yards total so maybe that's a blueprint but what I don't want to do is be the person who overreacts to the first game of one year because this was the Bengals last year when Burrow missed much of training camp due to health and he came back and they were slow out the gates and the offense line looked like hot garbage. And then by the end of the year, they were a juggernaut and they were really the only team to push the Kansas city chiefs in the AFC. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to slow my roll, but I, I do like what the Browns showed with Jim Schwartz, because to your point, if they can do this against the Bengals who have so much offensive talent and if they're, they feel confident enough for their corners to guard maybe the three best uh, trio in the league that the Bengals have. Who can't they do that uh, against? And like Deshaun Watson certainly wasn't great, 
but he wasn't abysmal in the way he was uh, last year. I know that's something you shouldn't say about someone who has more guaranteed money coming to them than anybody in football, including <laughs> Joe Burrow. Sean Watson is that person, and you both know them because you're both smart. The person who like, is part of the group project but doesn't do any of the work but still gets <laughs> the same grade, mm-hmm. well, I mean, he, Joe Schwartz, he was doing a lot of the work yesterday. We're ch- chatting with uh, Donovan Bennett. You can catch the fan check down with him and Matt Marchese at 2 to 3 p.m. Monday to Friday. Uh, you'll have lots to break down today. Um, one storyline I was excited about following yesterday, which impressed me, was Jordan Love in the Packers. Put up 38 points. Uh, great for the non-Rodgers narrative. Um, Aaron Rodgers, obviously, we're going to see tonight somewhere else. Um, but I think he did a good job at maybe shushing a little bit of that uh, coming into uh, yesterday's game. Throws for 275 yards and three touchdowns. Looked pretty comfortable. Uh, were you surprised with how he started uh, his season out with the with the Packers? Or are you expecting big things from Jordan Love? Not really surprised. Because sometimes, like, no news is good news. Like, mm-hmm. no drama is is good and i think the subtraction of the aaron Rodgers scenario from green bay and allowing jordan love just to own the team this year uh is important but to your point like all they've had is hall of fame quarterbacks yep. this is the third different week one starter at qb since 1993 the blue jays were winning a world series <laughs> uh, uh, back then and he looked really comfortable but also I think we saw the receivers stepped up. Dobbs is being added by a bunch of people right now uh, in fantasy in the waiver wires. We'll see what happens on Wednesday when that comes through. Uh, They didn't have Watson, who wasn't even in the lineup yet. Mm -hmm. But I think the other piece was we saw that defense start to come around. In the last nine drafts, they've had one first-round pick on offense. That would be... Jordan Love. The rest they've spent all on defense, and all of those guys are still here, and they're starting to come to fruition. And this is what the the Packers' schedule come, looks like out the gate. They go to Atlanta uh, this week. Uh, then they've got the Saints, Lions on Thursday night football, at the Raiders on Monday night football, a bye in the Broncos. If they get that Lions game, they could be like nice and sitting pretty in an NFC North division work coming into this year. We were talking about, ooh, the Bears, Fields has another offensive target. He'll take a step. The Lions are everybody's favorite team, and obviously they justified that on Monday night. And the Vikings won the division last year are pretty similar, minus Thielen, uh, but you add Addison out of USC. I think Green Bay is sl- quietly, and, and I don't know, I guess it's me and loving teams that are quiet in the offseason, uh, quietly a team to watch for in the NFC North. You mentioned the Green Bay defense and how they looked against Justin Fields. And I, I, I honestly believe that, that yesterday looked like a pretty big regression for Fields. And the reason I say that is because offensively, it felt like it wasn't just him. It was the play calling. Like, it seemed like they were relying on Fields' ability to scramble. And if that wasn't there there was nothing there. Like we didn't see the connection with DJ Moore at all. He's the new big wide receiver for the Chicago bears. And it felt like they were just at a loss. If it wasn't fields trying to save a play with his legs, how concerned would you be if you're a Chicago bears fan uh, with what looked to me like some regression from Justin Fields yesterday? Yeah. I don't want to understate this. You should be terrified if you're a Chicago bears fan, terrified that your QB is going to make it to the end of the year. Never mind. Uh, play well. And I get it. Everyone was like, oh, well, this is what happens. You give a young QB uh, in his second or third year a star receiver and they take a step. Essentially, this is the Josh Allen program when he got Diggs and now Justin Fields uh, got DJ Moore. 
except he has no pre- no protection to get to DJ Moore. And I think because Fields came out of nowhere and was rushing all over the place uh, and was a you know crazy ad in the middle of a fantasy season a year ago that everyone thought, oh, he's this dynamic player. Like, Justin Fields was not Lamar Jackson in high school or mm-hmm. university. He was running for his life, and it just happened to work out. But he's a traditional pocket passer. He just doesn't have the time. More rushing attempts last season for Justin Fields than Cam Newton ever had. Nobody was sacked more than Fields in 2022. These are not necessarily runs by design. These are runs because I have no other option. The Bears were pressured on the NFLers 39.5% of dropbacks last year. And as much as they got him a receiver, they needed to get him five new linemen. And that didn't happen. So I wasn't sure where they were going to take this step because the main issue with this team still remains to be the same issue with this team. And I'll leave this with something that sporting parents should never do. My brother and I both played football on offense. And when our offensive line was not very good, my mother would scream from the stands, I need to go to Shoppers Drug Mart because uh, I need to uh, O-line. I see a no-line. I need to go purchase some protection. (laughs) This is what I think when I watch the Chicago Bears. Okay, Donovan, <laughs> I'll leave it at that one. Uh, th- like she would be good. like, I need to go buy some right guard because we don't have one. I love that. I love it. Uh, she could trademark that one. Uh, it is a, uh, so I've never heard it before. I love it's it. Uh, Donovan, appreciate There's a reason for that because she's, she's a mean person. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll leave it at that. I appreciate you jumping on today. Uh, we can check the fan check down out at 2 p.m. You'll have lots to go through and a big one tonight. So uh, we'll put our picks in for Jets and Bills, but we'll chat with you about that uh, f- moving forward. Appreciate you coming on. That's Donovan Bennett. Uh, as we said, sports a contributor, co-host of the fan check down with him and Matt Marchese, 2 to 3 p.m. tonight. Oh, my goodness. A big one for Bills and Jets. Uh, September 11th game in New York. Always a lot that goes into that. A special one. Um, and then, obviously, the on-the-field action could not be bigger stakes to start your season. Like, you've got uh, the, the new era. Mm-hmm. of uh, Mr. Aaron Rodgers against Josh Allen. And the Bills have huge expectations, as we all know. And we here um, also heard that there's some drama going on. And maybe they just shut everybody up and have a great performance tonight. But this is going to be a tight one. Um, we will be able to tee that up later in the show. You can send your Wake and Rake picks in. Maybe you got something from that. Um, but we didn't get to Calvin Ridley and Trevor Lawrence. Uh, that was another one of my big takeaways from yesterday. Is like, you know, Calvin Ridley's had... He's had some things going on. He's had a few years. He's had a few years. years. That's a good way to put it. Uh, But, man, that that tandem, that duo looked pretty good yesterday. Um, I mean, they didn't trade for him for much, about a conditional fourth and sixth. Um, I think he was uh, more than half of Trevor Lawrence's targets. He looked pretty good. He's a big offensive debut. That's going to be a really good storyline to follow is what you're going to get from Calvin Ridley. But it looked like a pretty good ad um, when you look at how him and Trevor Lawrence started off yesterday's game 686 days between regular season games for calvin ridley and what does he do in his comeback eight catches 101 yards touchdown like people are looking for teams Mm -hmm. always who are going to take the next step and we just talked to donovan about justin fields and how many people were high on him but then you look at what he did yesterday and you know some of it is not his fault i think some of it maybe is a little too run happy but if you're looking for a team and a player to take the next step Trevor Lawrence is that dude. Mm. Trevor Lawrence is that guy. This team is for real. And a lot of it traces back to, you know, this is a guy who was arguably the best quarterback prospect since Andrew Luck. 
And you just needed to get him in the right environment. It was not the right environment with Urban Meyer. Um, Doug Peterson comes in. He's sort of like a quarterback whisperer. That's his (laughs) reputation. And you've now surrounded him with pretty significant talent, like Travis Etienne Jr. in the backfield. Saw Tank Bigsby uh, yesterday in the backfield as well. Calvin Ridley, they still have Christian Kirk, which people forget because he didn't have a good day yesterday. Marvin Jones is there. Like there are pieces for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And if you're looking for teams to take the next step, I think uh, yesterday was definitely a step in the right direction for them. How about B. John Robinson and that catch he had yesterday or that touchdown he had yesterday? Falcons ate the overall pick, looked like a beast. Uh, That was one of the big stories in terms of the early games. Uh, Saw that going viral. Giants, uh, we know about that. Uh, I'm just looking through my notes. Oh, Scorigami we had. Mm -hmm. I love a good Scorigami. Ravens. Losing Dobbins, Texans, a joke, but they had a 25-9 and Scorigami, which seems like that's happened before. Yeah, I can't believe we're still getting Scorigamis after all these years. 1,076 ever Scorigami. The rookie quarterbacks were also a, yeah, a, a none big Yeah, none of them story. won. None of them won. I, I said uh, Marvin Jones, by the way. It's uh, Zay Jones, obviously, in Jacksonville. Um, but Anthony Richardson. I thought they kind of looked okay. Like, the, the one that didn't probably look the worst was Bryce Young. And he had some Mm. flashes of where he showed off a little bit of his like calm, cool and collected athleticism, gliding, running. Like he has some decent throws in there, but I thought Richardson looked kind of electric. Oh yeah. As someone that has him on my fantasy team, I think he did look electric. Like I was a little worried about this injury scare for a minute, but he he seems like he's going to be okay. You're going to get some errant throws and you're going to get some bad decision making. I think, That'll improve with time, obviously, but he looked like an NFL quarterback. Like he has the the physique. He's obviously massive and he's very fast and very physical. The thing that I think you have to be concerned about, and if you're the Colts coaching staff, you have to sort of drill this into his head. Mm -hmm. Like you cannot be putting yourself at risk as much as he did yesterday because he's going to end up getting injured like that's you're in the national football league now and i know you're a big dude he looks like cam newton out there <laughs> but if you're gonna put yourself in the line of fire like that running the ball that often like he, he had you could say multiple injury scares in yesterday's game his mm-hmm. first career with nfl knee. game so he's, he's he looks like he is gonna be a, a pretty decent nfl quarterback He's going to improve with time, but you, you got to be more more safe out there for sure. Okay, so I think today's a fun day uh, for our listeners to send in your overreactions. If your team played either Thursday or Sunday, or maybe they're playing tonight, uh, good morning. What are your overreactions? We already have one from the Eric in Burlington. Good morning, back from vacation, hating football. My Vikings suck. Welcome to <laughs> welcome to overreaction Monday, everybody. For my pick today, oh, he, then he sends in his pick for Wake and Rake. That I appreciate that. But overreaction, Vikings suck. That's my that's my Monday thought from uh, the Eric in Burlington. But send those in because there's a, probably a lot of people that are feeling high uh, and mighty this morning with their team, and there's a bunch that are thinking that their fantasy t- season is over and then their fandom is over. So we love to get those five ninety five ninety. Uh, but let's do. Something to chew on. Brought to you by Great Canadian Meats. Yum yum yum. Uh, we will chat. We will chat later. Gets you every time. You like it? Eh? Yeah. Uh, we will chat later in the show with Carolyn Cameron as we teed up um, about what was a great U.S. Open on both the men's and women's side. But wanted to play this clip um, from Novak Djokovic, who won his twenty fourth Grand Slam. Um, obviously, we know that he 
is not slowing down. He's won three of four majors that he was in this year. Uh, won the Australian Open, the U.S. Open, and the French Open all in one year. Seven of the last ma- ten majors he's been in, he's won. It did kind of feel like, oh, I want Alcaraz in the final because those two have a rivalry, but nonetheless, uh, he doesn't seem to be slowing down anytime soon. His 24th major yesterday. Uh, here's Novak Djokovic chatting about what this means to him and why it was a special 24th for him yesterday. I thought uh, of doing this um, t-shirt you know eventually if I get a chance to, to win the, the tournament it was about seven days ago um, I didn't I didn't share it with anyone up to two few days ago when I asked my people to help me out to make these shirts um, uh, Kobe uh, Kobe was close uh, close friend we, we chatted a lot about uh, about the winning you know winners mentality when I was struggling you know with the injury and trying to make my comeback work my way back uh, to the top of the game you know he was uh, one of the people that I rely on the most he was always there for any kind of counsel advice any kind of support in a most friendly way uh, so of course uh, what happened a few years ago and him and his daughter passing hurt me uh, deeply and uh, I thought you know 24 is the jersey that he wore when he became a legend of Lakers and uh, world basketball so I thought you know, it could be a nice symbolic thing to uh, to acknowledge him for all the things he's done. So if you missed it, he's wearing a um, Kobe t-shirt after winning uh, his 24th Grand Slam. And it speaks about how important Kobe was in his life. And I, that was a really nice gesture. And honestly, we've seen a little bit of a different Djokovic over this last year, and I don't know if it's because uh, he's getting the rivalry with Alcaraz and there's a little bit of youth there, but he's really kind of pushed who he is in the media a little bit. I saw when he beat uh, the young American guy in the semis and he did the hang up the phone mm-hmm. thing. Like he's Ben Shelton, yeah. Yeah, Ben Shelton, thanks. Um, he's just been a little bit, he's been a little bit different. Um, he's now one major singles title ahead of Serena. So the first player ever to win 24 in the open era. Um, and I mean, he doesn't feel like he's slowing down at all. But the gesture with the Kobe thing I thought was really sweet. Yeah, completely agree. I, I think he's had a very oftentimes contentious relationship mm-hmm. with the crowds, especially at the mm-hmm. U.S. Open, uh, Flushing Meadows. And it feels like whether he's trying to do things to help his own image or, you know, I think people might just be coming around to the fact that, look, Federer's gone, Rafa's injured. This has got the guy that's kind of the last man standing from that era and it's time we start appreciating the greatness that is Novak Djokovic. He's 27 and one at the Grand Slams <laughs> this season. He's 36 years of age. Like you mentioned, it doesn't look like he's slowing down anytime soon, but a 36 year old is not supposed to be dominating tennis. That isn't, it is a young person's game. That's just the reality of it all because there's so many injuries involved and you're so spry when you're younger. That's why you're seeing a 19 year old Coco Goff on the mm-hmm. other side of the coin uh, winning on the women's side. So I think people are just realizing that this guy is clearly an all-time great, one of the greatest tennis players, if not the greatest tennis player we've ever seen. And what is the point of not appreciating him? Like you should always, at least in my mind, appreciate greatness in sports. And who in sports at this current point in time is greater than Novak Djokovic? In tennis, hard to say. In tennis, in hard baseball, to say. Babe Schneider. Babe. <laughs> <laughs> like, I guess. Well, what Messi's doing with MLS has been pretty damn good. Yeah, um, yes, yes. And I don't want to disparage um, MLS at all, but 
it, it is not, I would say, the top league mm-hmm. in the world. How about Messi when you look at from the World Cup until now? Yeah, he, he's on a pretty significant he's heater. There's no well. question. Those two he, could go head and head if you, if you decide who's and, having Shohei, the best. Shohei rain. pre Shohei. Uh, torn. UCL. Dylan Brooks. Dylan Brooks, for sure. I mean, he's in the conversation. <laughs> Dennis Schroeder. Oh, there you go. There's a lot of individual efforts that are, are rivals uh, to Novak Djokovic. But in all seriousness, a, a really uh, lovely test, uh, testament um, and uh, relationship with Kobe. And I thought that was really worth sharing. Uh, we are getting some text in about uh, overreactions and we can sprinkle those in um, after we take a break. We're going to take a break and talk to Katie Heindel on the other side. Canada wins bronze at the FIBA World Cup. Uh, The ceiling continues to be lifted um, and the expectations will continue to grow and head to Paris and let's talk about Dennis Schroeder with her because the Raptors legend already in the making MVP Germany takes home the gold undefeated at the FIBA world cup. Um, all that and more to come with Katie Heindel after the break. We'll have Buck Martinez at eight o'clock and Carolyn Cameron at eight 30. You can send in your wake and rake picks as well. Five ninety five ninety. huge series starts tonight against the Texas Rangers. Uh, Blue Jays uh, got uh, one and a half games ahead of them in the wild card mm-hmm. race, but uh, this will be a must-win, must-watch series for the Toronto Blue Jays. All that to come um, with Jesse and Ailish on the Fan Morning Show. Covering the Blue Jays from an analytical perspective, Jays Talk Plus with Blake Murphy. Be sure to subscribe and download Jays Talk on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan Morning Show, Jesse and Ailish, Sportsnet 590 fan. Did you see the Barbie movies from there? No. It's all Oppenheimer. Okay. You didn't do both. Barbara Did you see? I know. I, I had plans to, and then... So good. I had actually had plans to with a buddy, and then my wife was like, no, you're waiting to see Barbie with it's me. so good. This is from... This song was from Barbie it. good? Yeah. No. Vibes are high. Did you see Oppenheimer? I didn't see both. Oppenheimer was long, right? Eh? Yeah. Did you like it? Because there's yeah, a lot. I, there's I kind of like great. a uh, vibe out there that people like didn't really like oh, it that much. Well, Thought it was overrated. Wrong people. Yeah, I liked it. Too. I liked it. Okay. Um, vibes are high. Uh, Katie Heinel joins us, a basketball journalist, writer at many, 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 many places. Um, jumping on with us this morning to chat a little can of basketball and maybe how uh, Dennis Schroeder is going to change the Toronto Raptors uh, timeline. <laughs> Katie, how's it going? <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> um, I saw both movies. Yeah. Okay, and did you like them both? What was your which was better? Yeah. I I like them. I'll say Christopher Nolan still hasn't really nailed how to write women, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that we're you're on to something with that. We spent a whole hour yeah. talking about uh, the role that they had in that movie, but uh, I think you're on to it. Um, sleep schedule's been a little bit up and down as of late, uh, but you got to see the Canadian win bronze yesterday morning in the wee hours of the daylight. A pretty incredible run for them. A pretty great story. They beat some. Massive, uh, massive teams, including the United States there for bronze. Didn't look like they were going to there with that buzzer beater uh, to send it to overtime. But seeing the Canadians come home with a bronze medal uh, is a it's a pretty sweet story. I will say, I think the highlights are a little bit biased because I have brushed up on them again this mm-hmm. morning in advance of this. And it, there's so much focus on that 12-0 run that the U.S. Yeah. to close the fourth, where it's like, Canada was in control of that game pretty much throughout. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I think that was more like indicative of the U.S.'s approach, maybe an ISO approach mm-hmm. to, to basketball. But no, this is so thrilling for the Canadian team. Like, it's such a great group of guys. I felt just, if anything, um, maybe a little bit delusional in the mornings, but I felt, if anything, just like very proud of them. You know, mm-hmm. like they, some of them are obviously old enough to have been through the losses 
you know, that, that has plagued the, Can- the Canadian men's program to this point and to not really be able to get sort of like over this hump. Um, so they don't really know, but it seems like there was still an awareness, you know, obviously from Shay and Dylan Brooks and, you know, some of the guys I'm sure we'll talk about that were standouts uh, of what it was they accomplished. But I, I really hope that like these high vibes carry through mm-hmm. all the way to July. I mean, I know we have an NBA season to get through, but, uh, you know, I love the prize. <laughs> yeah. You, you mentioned Shay and Dylan Brooks and Ailish and I were talking in the opening block about uh, those two guys being the two top stories and big takeaways from this tournament for the Canadians. Uh, for me, it was Shea. For Ailish, it was Dylan. Uh, and, and I guess I'll start with Shea. I think a lot of people knew how good he was, but I'm not sure people expected him to elevate even beyond that in this tournament. And how much of that do you think can carry over into the NBA season when you see just, he was frankly the best player in the world at this tournament. How does that carry over to the NBA season? Yeah, I think it's like shooting stats really only fall short under like Luka Doncic, which like no offense to Luka, I just for some reason I don't count in the same way. Like in terms of a standout, you know, uh, performance, like you do just expect that from Luka. Anyway, I think like Shea showed he's a star. Like we, I think if you watch him, you already knew he was there. He doesn't necessarily, you know, you touched on this, get the consistent attention he deserves in OKC. But it was also so nice to see him take so comfortably uh, and confidently to this sort of international stage. Like, he's gotten a few, I think, false starts. Um, like, his very first FIBA tournament, like, he didn't even have any minutes. So to go from that to leading the team, you know, he's so calm, cool, collected. I, I think of that angle breaker on Bridger. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You know, that I think that was the only time in the whole tournament I kind of saw him turn and flash a smile. Um, otherwise, you were sort of looking to Dylan Brooks for that kind of energy, but... Like, Shay just plays so even heel. Um, I think, I think he, yeah, he was second only to Luca in terms of like total points in the tournaments and a lot of just his general shooting stats. But like, this does feel very much like the star, not the star's born moment, almost like the star has arrived. It's nice to see him getting the, the attention, you know, that he deserves and the credit that he deserves, especially from some of his colleagues in the nba right but if you've been watching i feel like he is just kind of waiting for this moment i feel like the dylan brooks narrative a little bit different in terms of a guy that that wears his expressions on his face but also is getting his moment in a little bit of a different light right he, i think he's a bit more respected i think he's leaned into the villain thing in a way that obviously propelled him offensively 39 points in the in the, in the bronze medal game but um, his storyline coming off of last season, this summer, and into this tournament, I think a lot of people didn't have high expectations for him, or casuals just didn't like him. And I, I would say sometimes that I was in that boat of like, ah, oh, this guy is like, he's a lot. But he's a lot in a good way right now for Canada. Um, he's certainly flipped the narrative on, on what people expect from him moving forward. I think he's got a great opportunity this season as well to keep building on what happened at this tournament. But Dylan Brooks getting a defensive MVP, um, a guy that clearly meant a lot to Canada. They wouldn't have gotten a bronze battle without him. Just the turn of events of Dylan Brooks' storyline um, for me was it was almost like a 1A, 1B with how I, I viewed what Shea did this time. Oh, yeah. I mean... I think you kind of nailed it. Like he turned it around for me too, in terms of, I think I had pretty low expectations, um, mostly to say that like he ended his last season himself, like with a huge question mark. You know, I don't think that was any external, like he didn't really need help externally, I'll say. So I don't know if it was the environment, 
you know, the sense of the new start in it that he had, the guys he was surrounded by, which, you know, these are people he grew up playing against. He did talk a lot about the comfort level there and, you know, the ability that they were all able to play so intuitively against one another. Or as you said, like, you know, taking some hard lessons, Mm -hmm. which he did mention at the end of the tournament, you know, and putting them to work. But it was like watching a completely different style uh, of his game. You know, it was sort of an open field, I think, in terms of who was going to play number two to Shea. It wasn't really clear when the tournament started. Uh, Brooks played it very clear, very fast, you know, that it was going to be him. He was a really generous passer. He was moving the ball incredibly well. We know he's not afraid to shoot, but he also seemed to really cool it on shooting from everywhere always. Like, I think his shot selection and picking the shots look markedly improved. He did talk a little bit about that Noah shooting system that the Raptors use as improving his three-point shot. That gave me hope. Maybe for right. the shooting. Uh, <laughs> but like when you look at, when you kind of look at his secondary stats, you know, like 23 rebounds over eight games, 21 total assists, and 121 total points, like in the tournament, these are very kind of just like well-rounded all around stats for somebody like that to walk away with. I think he also kind of recognized the moment and capitalized it, capitalized on it rather for himself, but sort of in a much different way than Shay. Like he knew he needed the moment. Oh, our fire alarm was going off. Um, I'm not sure what we're supposed to do at this point. It's never happened before. They just keep going. All right. Oh, goodness gracious. All right. You keep going there, Jesse. I'm trying to figure this out. Well, I just, I, I, I look at what Jordy Fernandez did, uh, over the last eight weeks. And I just wonder, like, as we power through the fire alarm here, uh, I just wonder, like, how quickly is this guy get an NBA job? Because it was a, it was a conversation, you know, prior to this tournament and, uh-huh. Now, given the job that he did when, you know, Nick Nurse left, what, eight weeks ago and Jordy Fernandez stepped in and led them to a bronze medal. And I don't think that necessarily was on the cards. Like, how quickly does this guy get hired in the NBA now? I mean, I hope someone snatches him up pretty quick. Like, just as you said, he he had to make up for a lot of ground, which I think shows a lot of his international and coaching acumen um, and the fact that he had these guys ears so quickly. Like, I'm not trying to do a Nick Nurse pile on, mm-hmm. uh, which I feel like had to say. Like, mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> However, I will say that just the level of connectivity that um, Jordy had with this team did seem very far and a, a lot different from the way that Nick Nurse did. And Nick Nurse had a lot more time with them. He was the one that initially asked them for the commitment, you know, to the team. Um, but it seemed just like that adaptive spirit of the team, like learning a little bit every game, uh, learning from their mistakes, just like keeping their energy levels up. Uh, I will say a lot of that seemed to be coming from Jordy. Like a nice thing about FIBA basketball is very mic'd up in terms yes. of the coaching staff and the rest. So you got a little bit of a glimpse, you know, into the things that he was kind of saying um, to his team from the side and, and in their huddles. So I do really hope that a team sort of snatches him up, but I also hope that doesn't necessarily overshadow um, what a different kind of game the international game can be and, and the different way that it takes coaching and how not all coaches are necessarily um, as adaptable to it. Katie, we really appreciate you hanging in there with us. We'll have to take a, a break here to figure this out. Uh, you just carried the whole show for us, so we really appreciate it. Uh, we'll definitely chat with you soon, hopefully without... Uh, the building on fire. I appreciate it. And <laughs> definitely. Chad soon, Katie. Thanks. Good luck, guys. Thank you. Okay, well, we will take a break. Um, apologize for the uh, the alarm going on. We're working on it. We'll take a break, and hopefully we come back with Buck Martinez and no fire alarm on the Fan Warrior Show, Jesse and Alex. Love it.